Right, hello everyone, good morning. It's great to, to be with you all this morning. Um, I have to say I was a, I missed most of the time of worship due to technical issues uh, with my computer, so hopefully it will all stay together um, for this. If at some point you lose me or something like that, um, Sam, if you ring me, um, I have downloaded Zoom on my phone as well, so I should be able to, to switch over to that. That, that, I just want to actually, before we even get started, I just want to pray. Uh, and there's loads of stuff going around in my head. Um, I kind of came back in off the back of worship where um, partly through what Steph was sharing. Uh, and it feels like God is really speaking to us. Uh, and there's lots that God's been speaking to me about and it's going around in my head. And so I just want to bring this morning before him. I just want him to lead us and guide us as we unpack his word together that you are here with us lord i'm just reminded how in in galatians it talks about your people received your spirit and had miracles worked among them not by works of righteousness but by hearing with faith god i just pray help us to hear with faith this morning lord like like we, in that video we just saw from pathways to poverty, Lord, was where, or from poverty, where, where water came and it brought life. Lord, we just pray that you will come and bring life among us this morning. Come have your way among us this morning, God. Help us to hold firm to the hope that is in you. Lord, we just yield our hearts and minds to you and say, come have your way. Amen. So Sam's already said, this is... We're continuing our series, Identity, um, and we've been looking at who we are in Christ. And so far, we've been looking at, our, firstly, our assurance in Christ. We looked at three different reasons for our assurance in Christ. Then we looked at three different reasons for our security in Christ, why we are secure in him. And today is the first of three where we're looking at that we are significant in Christ. Uh, if you're looking for a title for today, if you're taking notes, um, what we're going to be focusing around is that we are God's temple. I love the beginning of a passage that we're going to look at today. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. It starts with, do you not know that you are God's temple? But I love that phrase. I love it when the Bible says, do you not know? And that's how I want to start today is, do you not know that you are significant? Okay. In Christ, we are significant. The Bible talks about our sig significance. As believers in Christ, we are significant. God, in his wisdom and sovereignty, has chosen us to be the vessel by which his glory is manifested across the whole earth. His plan has always been to have a people made in his image, full of his presence, bringing his glory about across the whole earth. This is really exciting and this is God's plan and it has never changed. And you'll hear me repeating it again and again because it's so important for us to drill this plan into our hearts and our minds and understand what God is doing. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 to 17, I'm only going to read this short segment today because there's a lot to get through. There's a lot that God's been putting upon my heart. Um, and so I'm not going to delve too much into explaining all the context and everything now. You have to trust me that I've... Um, 
been looking at it and studying it, but I do encourage you to, to do that yourself as well. But it says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So this is radical, this picture of us being the temple of God. If we go back into the Old Testament and see um, the picture or see God's temple, this is the place where heaven meets earth. So this is the place where God's glory rests and dwells. And by Paul calling us the temple of God, by us knowing this truth, what he is saying is the church is the place where heaven is to meet earth. We saw Jesus all the time, didn't we, in his uh, earthly ministry, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we'll see later on, it took the scripture talk about Jesus as being the dwelling place of God. Almost uh, it says that he is the tabernacle of God. He is, he is God pitching his tent among us. He is the place where heaven meets earth. And he goes around proclaiming that this is what, that this is what God's heart and view is for the church. And we're going to come, come uh, round to that a bit more later on and unpack that. But first of all, I just want to show you some of the narrative and thread of this throughout the Bible. Because if you turn open your Bible and start the book of Genesis, you will clearly see that God's plan is for his glory to spread and be manifest throughout the whole earth through a people made in his image. Uh, and then if you jump to the end of the book and we jump to Revelation, the last chapter, 22. Uh, I think it's the last chapter. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> now I said that. Uh, and in there, um, it, there's a picture of the river, the river of life flowing out from the center of the temple, which is Jesus Christ. There is no building in heaven. God is the temple. The river is flowing from him. Uh, and there, once again, we see this picture of God being at the center and his plan being outworked of the river of life flowing out and bringing life and healing wherever it goes. So I just want to pick up firstly looking at Adam and Eve. Uh, very briefly, so they knew the presence of God in the garden and God gave them the charge, the commands, the mission to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And we know that God makes them in his image and he does something with them, which he didn't do with anyone else in creation. He breathes the breath of life into them. So we see this plan, this plan already starting to, to emerge straight from the beginning of scripture that God's heart is for the world to be full of his glory through a people of his presence made in his image. But Adam and Eve sinned and they were separated from God. They, in essence, they became spiritually dead. Uh, and so you, so you might think this put, put a halt to God's plan. Maybe God would change his plan. But God is faithful. And if we skip forward um, quite a number of years to the Exodus until when the Israelites have left um, Egypt, they've been, they were in oppressive slavery and God has brought them out and they were being led by Moses. And God commands them to build a sanctuary, a place for his dwelling among the people. Then once again, the people sin. God says that they were stiff-necked people. They did not um, want to follow him, follow his ways, fully giving themselves to him. And so we see that God says, I, I don't want to go with you into the promised land because I will destroy you. <laughs> because of that's the kind of people you are. You're not for me. You're not living for me. 
And yet, listen to Moses' response to that. I'm just going to read from Exodus 33, and it says this. So this is Moses talking to God, pleading for the people. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses understood the importance of the presence of God going with them. He was like, God, it's not enough for you to even send it. Like, so often if God said to me, I'm going to send an angel before you, I'd be well excited about that. But God is, but Moses, for him, it's not enough. He knows, he understands the importance of being a people of the presence of God. And that there's something about the presence of God that makes the people distinct. It changes how they're viewed. And, and so, so, so Moses really fights for this and god says that and god changes his heart god says actually yeah okay i will i will go with you so if we jump forward then several hundred years to king solomon and he built a temple this time it was a permanent structure no longer a tent a dwelling place for god but once again we see sin get in the way people rebel they go away from god and then the people are exiled and the temple is destroyed it might seem at this point God might give up on humanity. But if we skip forward to the New Testament, we see that God, in his perfect timing, sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who need redeeming. It said that God came to dwell among us. John writes in his Gospel, chapter 1, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the word dwelt here literally means pitched his tent. So this picture of God coming down to be among us, it's basically saying that to dwell among the Israelites is God pitched his tent. Now, Quite often, most of the time in the Bible, when the authors are talking about a tent, they're actually having in mind the tent of meeting. So if we go back to just after the Exodus and Moses uh, and the place they built, the tent of meeting, where he used to go in and the presence of God used to fall upon that tent, there'd be like a cloud upon it. So the people of God could see that Moses was encountering God and talking to God. It says he talked to God face to face. So this was the place of heaven touching earth, the meeting tent. The tent was the place of heaven touching earth and people encountering God. And here John is saying God pitched his tent, so the tent of meeting, among the Israelites. So God was coming to, to, um, to make a way for people to encounter him. So Jesus, it's not like Jesus just came as being fully God and fully man to dwell among us. But he also then says when he started his ministry, that the Holy Spirit came upon him. It rested upon him and it remained upon him. So through the life of Jesus, we see the outworking of God's plan to have a people made in his image who walk with him, full of his presence, who bring his glory wherever they go. Jesus modelled this for us. He is fully God, as I've already said, and fully man. He was made 
Well, no, sorry, he wasn't made, but he came in the image of God. He fully was, um, he was the exact image of God, representing God here on the earth. And he walked and ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus modelled this life for us. I love what it says in Acts 10, verse 37 to 38. And I think this sums up this really well. You yourselves, so this is Peter, he's come to a Gentile's household, to Cornelius' household, and God's given him the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And he says, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus didn't only model this life for us, but he made it possible for us to live out God's plan as well. The life that he lived, the death that he died, and being raised to life again for us has made it possible that we might be God's temple, that we might be the dwelling place of God on the earth, that we might again be, so we, we were made in the image of God, but yet due to sin, that, that image has been marred. And actually it says, doesn't it, in, in, um, in Corinthians, that we have been transformed in the, to the image of Christ from glory to glory. So we've been transformed back into this image of God. God is wanting us to be a dwelling place of his presence. And he's given us the great commission to go out and fill the earth with disciples, to go out and make his glory known all over the earth. Jesus took our shame, our sin, our condemnation and our guilt upon the cross. Suddenly the unholy can become holy. It's through him that we see the birth of a church, God's glorious church, who are now the dwelling place of God here on the earth. I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 3 again, verse 16 to 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are holy. We are holy. We see specifically here in Corinthians, Paul is referring to the whole church. That is a you. You are God's temple. But later on in chapter six, we actually see he also calls individual believers God's temple. So whether we're gathering together, which is so important, the Bible tells us not to forsake doing, or just we're in our everyday lives going about um, what God has called us to. We can be confident that God's spirit dwells in us, that we are his temple, that we are holy, and that God is wanting to work his plan through us. In, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God's presence dwelt. It was the place where heaven met earth. And now we are that place. We are the place where it pleases God to dwell. We are the place where God intends heaven to meet earth and for the world to be impacted for his name and his glory. We need to, we need to get this truth in our hearts and our minds. Scripture talks about um, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's so important that we let this truth change the way that we think, change the way that we, we view things. Um, it says in, in Proverbs that so a man is... Um, so a man thinks that's who he is. And it's just, it's just so important that we let our thinking be changed by gospel truth. 
So Faversham Community Church, we are God's temple. We are on his mission. We are being conformed ever more likely, ever more step by step into his image. And he is wanting his presence and glory to flow through us to impact the world around us. But what exactly does this look like? I just want to turn to John 7 uh, and just read from there. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice here the river. It's so important that we grasp the river. If we had time, I would go and look at um, Ezekiel's vision of the river of God and then look at the vision, of, uh, look at the river of God in Revelation as well. You see that wherever the river is, wherever the river is flowing, there is life and there is healing. And we know from verse 39 here that the river of God isn't some impersonal weird power or force, but the river is the Holy Spirit. The river is God's presence. It is a person wanting to flow through us. And I love the fact here that it's talking about any believer or anyone who comes to him and thirsts, rivers of living water will flow. So it's not just there'll be a little trickle, but, but rivers of living water will flow. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will flow through you like rivers as you thirst for him and come to him. No wonder why Jesus said, it is better that I go to the Father and I send you the helper. I don't, you, you can just imagine, can't you, that his disciples didn't understand that at the time. They had Jesus with them and they were living in the very presence of Jesus. And yet, if we turn to the book of Acts, we see Jesus everywhere. Once Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. It says he came in power upon the church and that, so that they could be witnesses, so that they could bring the glory of God throughout the earth. And as I say, we see this everywhere. We see this in the book of Acts. That it's as if Jesus is everywhere. You, you almost wonder that, Punch, that Pilate would be like, I thought I, could, I killed Jesus. But why is it that I see him over here in Stephen? I see him over here in Paul. I see him over here in Peter. I see him over here everywhere. Like the, the life that was flowing out of Jesus, the rivers of life that were flowing out of him, are intended to be flowing out of every member of the church. And yes, we are the body of Christ and God gives us different giftings. We have different strengths, different grace gifts from God that we are called to be functioning and moving in. But there, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that each and every one of us, as we thirst for Jesus, will have living water, rivers, multiple rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit flowing from within us and remember when the river flows it brings life and healing so we the church are the temple within the dwelling place of God and as we thirst for him the river will flow and this will bring God's kingdom 
So this is Jesus's heart for the church, a people made in his image, full of the overflow and overflowing with the spirit, bringing his glory wherever we go. So as believers, how should this affect our lives? And I kind of want to specifically look at, um, as sorry, I worded that wrong. So as believers, can we affect the flow of the spirit in our lives? That's the question we're going for. And the unequivocal biblical answer is yes, we can. So I'm fast running out of time. I haven't got time to really look at quenching the spirit uh, and weaving the spirit and that side of things now. But so what I want to pick up on, though, is the key for the river to be flowing, which was by being thirsty. So in John 7, there is obviously this ultimate sense of being thirsty, isn't there? There's a sense of before you're a believer, actually coming to God and and thirsting for for life with him for salvation with him and and so there is that sense but it's not the sense that i'm talking about right now i mean the the sense that i'm talking about right now is this the biblical longing there is a thirst and a great example of this is paul we see paul and he says that i might know jesus then you see him saying i know jesus but that I might know him, that I might know him. There's this biblical longing in him that, that he wants to know Jesus more. He is thirsty for Jesus. And when we're thirsty, we know it, don't we? I know that, that when, when I'm really thirsty, it, affect, it affects the way that I talk. I feel thirsty quite now, actually. Um, what do I do? I drink. When we're thirsty, there is this need to drink. And if we don't drink, we are affected even more by that first because it changes the way we function and we don't function how we're intended to function. Yet God has made us to be a people who are functioning in the power of his spirit. God wants all of you. He wants all of you to thirst for him. And I think this ties in with what was being shared earlier about our need to hold on to Jesus. No matter what is going on in any area, we are to be, no matter what, holding on to him. It's almost as if we're on a cliff edge and and we could let go. But no, no, we're going to cling to him. We're not going to let go of him. There's different ways we can view this first. We can see that Jesus says we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. I'm not sure that the disciples would have quite understood if we'd said to them, the Christian walk is about going to church on a Sunday morning and a midweek meeting, maybe an extra prayer meeting floating there, here and there, and then we just go around our every other day, our, our, our life like that. It's not, it's not Jesus slotted in. The disciples left everything. They left everything to follow him. That's why they were so distraught when they thought that Jesus was leaving them. But by the grace of God, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come back to you. And you will do greater works than I have been doing. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see this multiplication of rivers of water flowing. Last week on Zoom, um, Sam led us excellently as, as, as he got us talking about things that we're passionate about. And the common thread that came out, up 
through all of it, and this was things we were passionate about for our town, was that people, that, that we're longing to see God move in power among our town. And, and this filled my heart, and this is so exciting. But, but the thing that this, where does this flow from though? Where does the power come from? It comes from a thirst. We need to guard our thirst for Christ. We need to give ourselves to thirsting after him. And, and this isn't just something which I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself as well. We need to be hungry for him. We need to be hungry for him. This isn't a super spiritual thing. This isn't something where we need to, uh, we, we, we so often can see people pursuing God's presence in a way that, that we find unhelpful maybe that it feels like it's putting emphasis in the wrong place and and what what i kind of been seen as i've been looking into this and pressing god and saying god how do we seek you in a sober way because i want more of you i want to see more of you i want to help the church grow in more of you but how how do i do this in a sober way and he just pointed me to jesus and he said it's about me it's about being hungry for me being thirsty for me if we go back to um, the tabernacle, to God's dwelling amongst his people in the Old Testament. We see in Numbers 2 that the Israelites, Israelites were to camp around the tabernacle. They were given certain instructions by God as to how to camp so that God is at the centre. And then when the camp was to move, they had certain instructions from God as to how they were to move with God remaining at the centre. So there were tribes in front, tribes behind and tribes to the side, but God was at the centre. Is God at your centre right now? Is God at our centre? Are we living lives where we are camping, pitching our life around him? It's not, it's not that, that Jesus' tent kind of fits in somewhere into our life and we just do life around it, etc. But actually, if we're to live in what God has for us, which is rivers of life, the Holy Spirit flowing from each and every one of us, it involves us building our life around him. It's only then that the river will flow unhindered. If we read the book of Acts, we see Jesus everywhere. In fact, I encourage you, read the book of Acts. This is God's church. And actually, the, we can so often envy the church then, but the church then wasn't perfect. We see this from the letters. But there is something, I think, that for us to grow in, in our passion and longing for God. And I, I don't think we ever get there. So I don't think this message will ever get old. There is so much more of him, so much more for us to be growing in. And I find that I hunger after what I give myself to. So the more that I hunger after God, the more that I feed upon God, the more that, that I hunger for him. It's amazing. And actually then also, the more that I do that, the more that I see myself bold to step out and offer prayer for people. Bold to step out and, and see him come in healing for people, whether it's praying for physical healing or emotional healing. God is at work, and I firmly believe he has his hand upon our town, but, but this comes from a place of 
of seeking him first. I don't think it's by any accident that the words God's given us about there being this wellspring of life among us as a church, where particularly for healing to come, and one of the places for us to press into that is in worship. It's through putting him first. It's seeking him first. So I just want to move on now into a time of response. And in a moment, um, we're just going to do that um, through a song. Uh, the song is Build My Life. And it's just a great song because it encapsulates so much truth about us building our life upon him. And it's, but it's just a couple of things that um, I just want I want to share that I feel God's put on my heart for us this morning, areas where he's looking to work in. Um, and don't switch off in this time, okay? Don't switch off. And if people feel God's stirring them, maybe God's even putting things on your heart that to be shared, prophetic words, words of knowledge, things like that, like, let, let's not lose that as well. Let's keep listening. Let's keep engaging. So the first thing that I feel God wants to deal with in us is sin. I just feel that this morning for some of us, maybe there's hidden things. Maybe there's things going on in our life that, that we haven't dealt with. And I just feel like even now God may be highlighting things to people. It might even just be the fact that we don't have Jesus at the centre. It says in um, 1 John uh, 1, that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We recognise that yes, in Christ, we are justified, that we are made holy, but we still sin. And that sin can, can hinder the flow of, 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 our, of God's spirit in our lives, us walking in all that he has for us. And I just heard this recently, it just struck me, that I think sometimes we can repent of sin with empty words. We, we, we originally, when we came to Christ, we came in faith. But actually, sometimes I think we can be a bit blasé in confessing our sin. But we need to come to him in faith that his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So in a moment, if there is something that God's putting on your heart that you just feel you need to repent from, you need to turn from, come to him in faith, knowing that he cleanses you. Um, the second thing that I feel is maybe some of us have lost our thirst for him. Or lost, I love it how Jesus puts it in, in Revelation, we, we've lost our first love. Maybe there's some of us who, who don't longer and thirst for him. Maybe how we're used to, or maybe it's even to the point of we, we've never really felt that we really do thirst for him. We just know that there's more and we, we need, to, need to grow in this. Our lives should be marked by this thirst for him. If we don't feel like our lives are marked by this thirst for him, this is something we need to be longing to grow in. And if it's something that you're not in that place right now, can I encourage you to long, to grow in the longing for him? To pray and seek, just be like, God, cause me to long, to long for you. Because this, this is something, it's so, so important. Maybe 
We're in the place where we work hard for Christ. We work hard for him with patience and with endurance. We worship him, but we, we know we've lost our first love for him. I just encourage you to, to come to him, to repent of that, and to ask him by his grace to come and meet you in that, because he wants to. God wants to be your first love. And actually, he, by his grace, he makes it possible. It's by his grace. It's not our works of righteousness. It's a reminder of what it said in, in the book of Galatians, that do you receive the spirit by works of righteousness or by hearing with faith? It's by faith. And the third thing that I felt God to just highlight was about being disconnected from the Bible and prayer. Perhaps at the moment you, you, you just you struggle with reading the Bible. Maybe you struggle with praying. And I'm not saying sit down for hours on end reading the Bible, but, but actually what I feel God is speaking to me is we can start to get a stronghold in our lives, start to believe a lie that actually I can't read the Bible on my own. I don't really get anything out of it. Or I, I struggle with praying because I, I struggle to engage with God in it. And I just really feel that God was saying, by his grace, he has given these things. And these are things of life. And that doesn't mean that every single time we, we read the Bible, it's going to feel like a life-changing revelation in us. But there was a picture what someone once showed, uh, gave me of if you have a dirty um, sieve, I think I've shared this before, and say you strained broccoli or something in it. And so the broccoli is all got tangled in it. Okay. If you pour boiling water through it, it cleans it. Okay. Sometimes when we spend time in scripture, it's just that God is at work doing things. We don't necessarily know it or feel it at the time, but it's communion. It's communion with him. And so I just feel like God would say the fact that you might have this mindset and mentality that you're not someone that can sit and read the Bible. It's just too difficult. You're not someone who can pray. This is just a lie of the enemy that God wants to expose and he wants to bring life to you. And it, I've, I found myself at times, I've just prayed, God, let your words be like a spring of water to me. And he's just so faithful. He is faithful and he answers that prayer. Uh, so we're going to do a, a song now. I'm just going to pray for us before we go into the song. And as, as I say, just use this as an opportunity to, to respond to what you feel God highlighting in you now. Let's be real with him. God is all about being real. He loves it. But he loves your heart being poured out as well. Do you know, this is one more thing I need to say. It's not a love for him isn't like this religious love where there is no emotion at all. Sometimes the way we preach love is we take the emotion out of it. But, and it's not, it's not like this. Um, I understand why people always say that it's not about this romantic love that can fade that we talk about in human relationships. But actually, there should be an emotional response to God. There should be. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in the New Testament. We see it throughout the Old Testament that, that God intends us to experience him not only um, in our minds cerebrally, but also in our hearts and our emotions. So no, let's not, not hear that in an unsober way. 
but but actually there is something where David said, as the deer pants for water, so my heart longs for you. There is a limb. There is a line. Right. I'm just going to pray for us. Okay. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to do a song of response. I just encourage you look to him. Do you know the walls of Jericho were insurmountable? Okay. What God is talking to you about right now might feel like, God, I can't get by, I can't get over this. How do I do this? Do you know what? We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. If right now you're in the place of, oh God, I'm, I just need you. To me, that's almost the best place to be in. That's the place that we should be in every day. So I just encourage you, look to him, but hear with wanting to speak to you. But it says the spirit comes through hearing with faith. Let's put our trust in him. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing this song, respond to him, and we'll see where we go from there. Oh God, I thank you that you are at work in us. Lord, I thank you that you love us so dearly that you sent your son for us. Lord, I thank you that your word says you give us all we need for life and godliness. Lord, you require us to take up our cross daily for you. Lord, and this isn't easy. We know that's not easy, Lord God. But Lord, we know that when the spirit flows, it produces fruit. It produces love. It produces joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, oh, as we die to ourselves, we get the joy of this fruit growing in us and your river of life flowing from within us to bring life and healing to the world around us. Thank you for this, oh God. And we just pray now. Oh, loving Father, deal with us tenderly, but come and have your way. Help us to respond now. Help us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. Amen.